Cradeline Network. Separated. I am the law, and this is the 46th episode of Big Meg One. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Eli, and this is the podcast for two Americans who patrol their way to the Judge Red Magazine. This episode, we're covering the Meg for October, November 1994. That's volume two, issues 63 and 64. This episode, things are getting hot in the wilderlands. We'll find treasure with the missionary man, learn about being bad with the mean machine, learn about new life in Calhav Justice, and get down to business in England with Armitage. How you doing this time, Eli? Ooh, doing great. All right. You ready for evil plants, techno <laughs> zombies, oh. weird psychic dudes? Woke up ready. That's uh, why I get out of bed in the morning. Fantastic. And if you were already along with us, you find the comics we're covering today. And Judge read the complete case files 21 and the Mean Machine Real Mean Collection. Real Mean. <laughs> All right. So let's get started with Real One Judge Dredd. Script about John Wagner, art about Carlos Escara, Trevor Harrison, and letter about Tom Frame. It's Wilderlands Part Two. Oh, burying our dead. Gosh, we're so sad. Yeah, back in the Wilder Zone with Conrad, Eli, and Fox, Team CEF, the Chromium Embedded Framework. Nice. (laughs) Wilder. They're putting chrome inside of our water. It's affecting our Uh, our frogs. They're framing up the chrome. By God. I don't know. Anyway, Wilderlands back underway. John Wagner and Carlos Escara start us out again in the mega in the oh, sorry in the in the progs. I should say, good lord, in a flaming red forest. The survivors hold a memorial service for little Molly, who died in our last episode. As folks preparing meals and setting up shelter. I mean, so I get like you know under the sea. There's a vent that's like spewing out lava, like like you know whatever, like vents. Yeah, and. And there can be life around that. There can't be forests near a lava. No, 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 no. We learned in the magazine. Sorry, Eli, do you want to um, upmantle this one? Yeah, no. Yeah, they're, they're lava forests, you know. <laughs> yeah. No ecosystem. You're you're too busy framing it on Earth's ecosystem. Water and plant life. You know, it's it makes sense there. But if you're on a lava planet, things yeah. need to exist using lava <laughs> instead of water. It's... So there are lava trees. Naturally. Yeah, I mean, we literally earlier in the in in the magazine we saw like some native beasts. Get, like there was a literally just like a firestorm, basically like 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 fire and lava falling from the sky. And the uh, well, all the uh, humans had to like hide in a uh, in a structure. There were some pack beasts that just hung out outside and were completely unharmed. By okay, it. so so maybe Conrad or or Eli, you can tell me. I mean, are these deciduous trees? Or are they more of like a, a a tundra? Yeah, I think they look um, they look kind of like uh, like a lava aspens to me. I think love aspens, <laughs> love as love actual. Sorry, that was my joke. It didn't land. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> love aspen. That's when I'm on the. That's when I'm on on the town, Fox. That's what I say. Um, 
that's that's a hot tub time machine joke right there. Get up. Um, yeah, we see Dredd eating out of a hollowed out shell as Castillo reports that no one really saw what happened in the cockpit when the ship went down. Dredd recaps the situation again, 2000 kilometers from the nearest settlement. But it seemed that there might actually be an abandoned research station about 170 Ks away, which is 105 miles. We should go check that out. But before we do, we should get high as fuck and like freak the shit out. Yeah, he wants to send a party to check it out. And the rest of the team will sit here and build a uh, build a landmark to signal rescuers. When suddenly Judge Moynihan starts shooting because they're surrounded. Dread cautious them, but others are seeing things too. One of the convicts thinks a citizen is, is his long lost love, while a judge sees a rescuing spaceship arrive, but instead steps out into burning fire, rain, and dies. <laughs> Dread holds another judge back to uh, to keep him alive and not get hit in the rain, and it's chaos in the camp as Molly the kid begins to rise from her grave. Next issue, the other judges, including Castillo, um, see the rescue ship as well, but there's there, there's nothing there. So Dread just headlocks him as Molly leads her dad into the forest, and it seems that Chief Magruder is alive and well again. Oh, geez. Thing. Well. Things are getting a little intense with this convict here. Um, he's I looking mean, for you his know, girlfriend or something. As a dread chains the the hallucinating judges to a tree, Odysseus style. Oh yeah, you know. I forgot that they did that to the mast. Yeah, like, the like mast when they chain Odysseus for... to the to the mast, we could listen to the sirens. It's song. a little so just for you know everyone else out there it's a little weird that odysseus was like we're chaining some people to the mass pole but also chain me because i'm totally into hearing this stuff and flipping the fuck well, out listen i don't want to flex my my what we learned about the odyssey when i was in eighth grade literature class fox <laughs> no the odyssey was about uh but the o- contempt for violence the odyssey is basically about odysseus traveling through the um Aegean sea getting his fuck on and part of that <laughs> okay is, so part of part it of is that getting you're listening on. you're listening to the sensuous tones of the siren song Part of it, like, listen, part of it is about getting your fuck on. The other part of it is about the abhorrence of violence. Fair enough, I guess. Un- until, I guess, you find out that your wife has maybe thought about getting a different husband. Yeah, then you kill all those guys. Yeah, then it's fine. Like, she <laughs> she thought about doing one of those guys. Meanwhile, I've had sex with at least three witches on the way here. And <laughs> it's not the same. No. Right, exactly. How dare she? <laughs> Anyway, um, O'Hare reports Magruder's recovery, but Dredd just sees the chief as a full-on skeleton and realizes that he must be affected too. It must be that food that he ate. It's the nuts. Yeah. Like, hey, listen, if you're going to go nuts for almonds, you might as well eat uh, uh, pistachios for walnuts. Yeah. Find somebody to to describe ayahuasca to you. Um, you know, oh God. Well, and also maybe you need an like an EpiPen. Yeah. Like epinephrine, I feel like would have saved a lot of people a lot of time on weird plans. Absolutely. Molly leads her dad into the forest where a black fist grabs him, and Dredd confirms that judges who didn't eat aren't hallucinating. A scream goes up, and Dredd investigates, knocking out the amorous convict along the way, and we see. So he pistol whips that dude. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But he pistol whips him with the barrel of the gun. Yeah, I think that's which I feel like that's actually a buffalo. I think when you hit somebody with the barrel of the gun. I don't like that analogy. <laughs> it's 
what yeah. they call it, you know? A pistol whip is with the handle of the gun. The barrel is the uh, yeah, is a is a buffalo. It's a wild west thing. Wyatt Earp did it a lot, actually. Doesn't make it better. God, I love knowing <laughs> cowboy stuff, Fox. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, anyway, Dredd arrives to find Mr. Witters has been beaten to death and jammed in a tree, and a mysterious form stalks Dredd to the forest as well, until he finds Witters, yeah, again, hung upside down from his arboreal grave. Uh, very, I mean, nice. Yeah, that's right. Tree tomb. You know, there was, uh, there was, uh, a bunch of bones that some kids... During World War Two, mm. like that, these kids were out in a forest and they found a bunch of bones stuffed in a tree mm. in the UK, and no one knows where the fuck they came from. Oh no, elf bones! And well, so and then so a bunch of people were like, ah, it's a spy, probably. <laughs> and that's that's my that's my my only tree bone story. Left Ooh, you're welcome, everyone. Fox, do you remember? Speaking of of of, of bones and war stuff, do you remember that time in invasion? Where 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 Bill Savage took uh, a, a a big rack of uh, deer antlers and put them in a shotgun, and used them to shoot like five guys at once. I don't remember that at all, but it sounds like something Bill Savage would do. Pretty classic That's shit. Amazing. There's there's uh, Eli. I'll be honest. Uh, like if there's any comic book, I suggest anyone to ever read. It's Invasion. Yeah, I've got to I've got to send you that. S- s- send that your way at some point. It's. Good. It's fucked. Good early, <laughs> like early action story in two thousand eight. Like it may be the only comic book that I would say definitely. <laughs> I don't know. I could think of a couple it, that fuck pretty hard, Fox. Oh well, no, I don't mean horny. I just mean it fucks. It's like a guy shoots two people that are falling out of a plane with a shotgun. Yeah. Like, how do you do that? Or a guy who like comes out of a bathtub with a, a rubber ducky on his shotgun and shoots some people. Fine. Or a fine guy like it's it's there's a lot that goes on he whips a bunch of geese with a with a, a bandolier of shotgun shells like whips them the ge- to death the, the, the geese are being controlled by an evil um professor who's got like a he's not just f- finding some geese and he's like no yeah. no 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 these are these are hostile war geese anyway no, he's he's got a magical flute that he uses to control the geese that's right nice. he has a swan on each shoulder carry around and fly it's it's really yeah i know <laughs> he has swans pick him up from the shoulder and help him fly it's very weird it's a it's just a like uh world war Two. like i'm 80 and i'm gonna tell you how i was in the war and the way i was in the war was shooting geese with shotguns well that was i mean that was the uh that was the prequel story in the, in the year 1990 uh, okay oh i'm, I'm sorry anyway let's let's keep going <laughs> these asides um so dread finds um mr witter's Hanging in a tree. And then we're back in the magazine with Wagner, Harrison, and Frame. As we see Castillo's hallucination from her perspective, like a ship coming down, being like, hey, we're here to save you if you, you know, make yourself visible. And like, no, we got to be free. But nope, can't do it. Um, she and, and the other judge managed to break free of their bonds and run to meet the ship. But it's a mirage. The fire rain's still going on. So bad times, although they managed to escape. Back in the forest, Dread looks for Mr. Witter's killer inadvertently stepping into a giant venus fly trap yeah i mean that's a bad that's not a great move i guess technically it's a it's a a hestian fly trap but you know what i'm saying i i'm surprised that he missed all of the like teeth 
parts. That's a teeth-rich atmosphere, I guess. Um, I Personally, I'm not a fan of Dredd using these incendiary rounds to sort of light the way as he goes places. Like, they are, you know, they're... I don't know if they really provide much light as you do. That's why you need, need the signal flare, on, like in the uh, in the on Sloan a fire movie. planet. You don't need flares, right? Mm, you think it'd be some just some ambient light from the fires? I think we can. I can agree with that. You probably if the planet's on fire, probably chill out. With the a little bit. <laughs> yeah. My planet's on fire. How about yours? Mm-hmm. That's the way I like it, and I'll never get bored. Got it. All star. Dread commentary. The hallucination starts to wear off, but Dread's definitely trapped in this um, Venus flytrap thing. And to make matters worse, the only person who's found him is Judge Hine, who's still butthurt from being shamed and disarmed the last episode. Mm-hmm. He makes fun of Dread for being caught and is generally very sarcastic and just generally being a real asshole, too. He stabs Dread in the hand while pretending, pretending to cut him free. He's going to let Dredd be eaten, so Dredd has no choice but to shoot him through the skid of the flytrap, because he had, like, his gun sort of inside the mouth part of the of, of the flytrap. And then he got incisored by the flytrap? Well, f- yeah, Hine is hit and falls backwards into another flytrap that, like, seems to eat him completely. Yeah. Dredd Fly- shoots a few more... Oh, sorry, think, Eli? Flytraps travel in pairs. They don't. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole forest of them. Dredd shoots a few more times to get the plant off of him. And when he goes to collect Hine, he said a spike from like the teeth on the edges of the plant has gone through Hine's head right through his eye. Ah, oh, gross. Oh, my stomach's bubbling. Uh, so back in the progs with the scared, Dredd uh, carries back, witters his body, and explains about Judge Hine dying, though he leaves out the part about shooting him right away. <laughs> O'Hare checks Dredd's wounds as the crew wonders about these hallucinations and Phoenix blames herself for not knowing that this would happen. She's like the native expert. At daybreak, they get Hines body and these Britsit scientists are fascinated by, you know, various scientific things. A remarkable. Yes, this is remarkable. It's such a shame to destroy any of these things. We can't do that. Yes, they've determined that it's the shells of the nuts that they were using as bowls that caused the hallucination. So they should, and they should be able to stop that from happening as well. Um, and they'll be doing this by or testing also it on the prisoners. Make a, or also make like a dope ass hallucinogen made from nuts from these fucking fire Yeah, trees. I mean, that's the long-term plan, certainly. But short-term, they got to survive. They can't be high off their asses while they're trying to survive. But later, get high off their ass. Um, Judge Castillo and Judge Kinsey, along with Phoenix, are outfitted and set out as an expedition to the research base. So let's get to work. Meanwhile, in Mega City One, the judges finally get word that the chief and company um, are returning to Earth, but the ship can't be reached. And the judge currently in charge doesn't seem too worried about all that, which is ominous. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, I, I should say that was Judge Greel temporarily in charge. Um, yeah, no, we don't like Greel. Yeah. So the crew is building a landmark visible from space so rescuers can find them. The convicts are heavily grumbling. They plan to make a break for it as a pair of citizens um, propose and plan marriage if they survive all this, which I think is how you guarantee that you won't make it through, basically. They don't know the rules. What idiots. Yeah. Hell track yeah, rules. Don't talk about the future. They'll kill you. Yeah, no, listen, you talk about how everybody else is dead and you're going to survive and that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, if you meet at the end and you're both alive, you have shared experiences. It's yeah. it's kind of like, uh, you know, 
It's a less awkward Tinder date at that yes. point. Yeah, you, know? you got to earn the right to talk about the farm you'll have in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. God, I'm for Red October. I don't know. Um, I'd love the farm in Minnesota yeah. because I'm definitely from Russia. Hey, why not? Um, for a moment, things are calm, but then another crew member keels over and Magruder, we learn, is still in a deep coma. One of the Brit sitters is sad over the loss of a companion, but can confirm they can stop the hallucinations from the uh, the nut bowls. Meanwhile, convicts are sneaking away on bathroom breaks, and one tries to assault a female citizen. She screams, and a judge comes running to help, but is attacked by another convict and brained by a boulder. Again, the worst time that you can come on to, I think, anybody is when they need to take a pee. Yeah, <laughs> not cool. Give people their space. Um... The judge gets a shot off and Dread and Dread comes running. Meanwhile, Med Judge O'Hare hears uh, or or heads into the other side of the forest and hears Dread's voice calling out to her. There should be a reveal here, but there isn't really. But it is sort of spoiled on the cover of uh, this prog, Prog 11, because it's clearly a rogue mechanismo coming after her. In the magazine, we've now split the narrative as we follow Castillo into the wilderness, into the wilderlands. Um, and the distance they have to go is increased to 180 kilometers as well. The trio of Castillo, Kinsey, and Phoenix stumping through the territory. Kinsey complaining a lot, and Phoenix moving ahead quickly. They walk. Oh, good. Can I? Can I just say the budding romance is palatable <laughs> between uh, Phoenix and Castillo here? I mean, yeah, totally. <laughs> we all agree with that. Yeah. They walk through canyons and geysers, eventually reaching an oasis about 30 kilometers in, which allows for some just girl skinny dipping vis-a-vis the romance we talked about. Listen, I think, Eli, you and I have had at least a partially long conversation, and I know definitely Conrad and I have, about, hey, listen, I, I, uh, I appreciate more horniness in my comic books and my media. Right. You know? Mm. And uh, I, I appreciate that, uh, you know, there's a skinny dipping scene. Yeah. Not, I mean, for my pleasure, I guess, sure. But also, it's character development. Yeah. Like I said, magazine for the slightly uh, more mature reader here. Yeah, um, at night, they set up camp with 76 kilometers down, and Kinsey's got foot problems. We see, you know, complaining and stuff. We see the judges in just their undersuits, and it seems Castillo has some little booties to go with her uniform as well. Anyway, that morning, a giant fucking pterodactyl shows up and flies off with Kinsley. Yeah, we gotta Kinsley? get this sausage the fuck out of here. No, who gives a shit? Get him out of here. No one likes him. And what we want is literally the two people who actually give a shit about each other. Bye bye. I'm worried bye. this guy's named Kinsley, and I've said his name wrong. This who whole gives a shit? Bye oh, no. bye 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 bye. Castillo <laughs> shoots a couple, and Kinsley boot knifes the one holding him, though he doesn't say boot knife, and because of that, he has a worse outcome than normal and is momentarily yeah. dropped but then gets caught in, in midair by these monsters. And then there were two. This is the thing that I learned from Dragon Ball and then eventually Dragon Ball Z and then eventually every iteration of Dragon Ball. You have to scream mm-hmm. your power. Yeah. Like, if you're going to say boot, like if you got a boot knife, you got to yell boot knife. <laughs> and that's how it wins. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I learned that from uh, Roroni Kenshin as well. It's another an- definitely anime lesson, you know, mm-hmm. Ted Mitsurugi style, I mean, et cetera. Can you imagine using boot knife is... and not yelling boot knife? You'll do like half damage. Exactly. Like, exactly. No, and they get like a deck saving roll on all of it. Like, listen, you gotta, 
you, you just you gotta scream the thing you're going to do uh in order for more sexy things to happen it's like oh then eventually i'll stab it in the face because i didn't get it when i threw it mm. it's like come on man like not not cool unless you're going to be piccolo and uh, you know have only one arm and then hey guess what you didn't take off both my arms and i'm going to touch two fingers to my head and i'm going to shoot one of the coolest beams in the world at you yeah guess what they didn't use that as much as they should have it was a great beam how much are your fans no dragon ball z conrad Uh, (laughs) i I feel like i feel like I don't know how much overlap there will be. I'm hoping that at least the folks will be will, will enjoy the non the non sequiturness of it. As much Listen, as anything else. If, it 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 is it is a singular beam with another beam that <laughs> whirls around it, and it's pretty dope. All right, that's all I'm going to say. Over, also, the man's skin is green. It's over nine thousand. I know that. Right, we've all been there. All right. And speaking of there being of now, there were two. Now we've done two sections of Wilderlands. What do you guys think about this middle part of this here epic? Uh, I like it. Um, I think they're doing a lot of, and then things got worse. But mm. um, it uh, it's appropriate. You know, it, 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 we're closer to that um, horror film genre right now, where yeah. it's like, all right, we set the scene. You know, everyone's in danger. We know that. But how are they in danger? What's going to kill who next? And, you know, it's um, always sad that, you know, you, you can kind of tell who's going to make it you know, at the beginning. They haven't <laughs> subverted my expectations on that part. No. But it's fun seeing how people are going to die and how no one, people can't cooperate even if their lives are on the line as a consequence of uh, uh, stupid humanity. Uh, yeah, it's sort of a combo of like Poseidon Adventure and uh, and Predator, I guess, <laughs> or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, but also, I do want to say that this planet is very habitable, considering um, there's some planets that it just rains glass sideways, and you know, so even this one being like crazy firestorms and giant you know, Venus flytraps. It's yeah, it seems like they found a source of like I food mean, and water pretty like without too much trouble. I guess it's, exactly. If they would weren't idiots and would just freaking uh, I don't know the skinny dipping. I'm like, okay, you, that's you're a little <laughs> too free, but uh, I appreciate the enthusiasm. I feel like I feel like you have to earn like a, a, an action movie, right? You you earn some of the the skinny dipping or the the skin scenes. Mm. Right. Uh, from 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 like having to go through the dilemma. Yeah. Right. Like again, this this feels nineties as uh responding to eighties movies. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Right. It's that diehard feel where we've had a bunch of movies about invincible invincible action man's men. So now we've got an action man who can take some damage and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Hans, Booby, I'm your white knight. <laughs> But they should definitely, if they're going to throw the clothes off and get in a, you know, a, a body of water that's of questionable, you know, uh, safety. There should have been one person just with a gun waiting. Like, well, I don't know what's going to come out, but definitely. No, I feel like that, that's what Kinsley was doing. Like, he was on watch, sort of. Mm, he didn't see well, the frolicking took place. I, I agree with Eli. He should have been in the water, and then he should have been murdered, and then they should have gotten out of the water very quickly. I mean, I will. Yeah. Go ahead, Eli. Uh, I'm seeing him on watch. He just still doesn't seem as alert as I want him to be. Yeah, I mean, there I is... He better like, freaking standing up, head on a swivel. I do kind of wish that um, they'd 
had a few more survivors, I guess, because while they like there's sort of some gestures toward this widowing down, we've only really seen two or three people really die, you know, like right. like mm-hmm. there's less like as opposed to, say, Hell Trek, which I mentioned um, earlier, which is a story Fox oh, and I read. Every everyone dies. Which is very, yeah, for- very much a, a cross country trek uh, trip where everybody, you know, most of the crew dies in the process. There's just not a, also, enough also attrition. Really, a, a really great comic in terms of both art and the story, by the way, Eli. Ooh, I mean, Hell, Hell Trek, especially given that you know the universe, is literally like, hey, I want to go from Mega City 1 to the West Coast. How bad is it? Answer. Bad. Everyone dies. It's basically Oregon Trail, but like post-apocalyptic. Actually, yeah. Like before that was like a, a video game. I right. mean, both be both before and during, sort of, you know, that sort of concept. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is fine. I, uh, one thing with the you know, horror genre, though, uh, the more people die, the more closer you understand to it being over. I think that's always mm. uh, kind of sad when you're kind of like, okay, we're how many people are alive? Two. All right, we're 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 getting close to the finale. That part uh, annoys me a little sure. bit, but but yeah, 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 and 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 it's and it's always kind of your your virginal beings are always kind of the the ones that survive, right? Yeah, like yeah. I I was it was always such a peeve of mine. Yeah, it's hard. I to mean, that's, yeah. I, well, I mean, that's why the best virgin is uh, the one who survives um, in this story, namely Judge Dredd. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's you had a kid. We don't know. We don't know. Mm, he yeah, doesn't yeah. seem like he does it, you know. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't think he has it inside of him. Right. To prove Let's not just get distracted with our usual conversations. Uh, what blue penis? Nah. Blue penis? Anyway, <laughs> with- hey, no, I get to say some stuff oh, yeah. also. Which oh, is sorry, Fox. How are you? How are you finding this? By the way, of, uh, this of section, son of a bitch. This, this section you forgot, you forgot this- about it. Not me. No, I didn't forget it. God damn it. All right. Sorry. I'm sorry for interrupting you. Go ahead. No, buddy. no, no. This is this is when uh, uh, Trevor uh, Harrison. Yeah. Harrison. I don't uh, know. I'm, I'm sort of saying it's, it as kind it's of like right. Harrison, Look, but kind of not. This is this is this is what made it up for me, uh, like partway through our, our kind of excursion. Right. Like where. I realized how, like, and this is, you know, again, everyone's going to crucify me. Like, uh, Carlos Escara is a master artist, right? But a master artist of a kind, and not necessarily one that has evolved over time, or did evolve over I think time. He, he, right? I, I, I think there's some evolution. I, I agree. This is one where I would say that Trevor fucking like every time I see it, it knocks it out of the park and there is really interesting dialogue going on. Right. Like, so again, it's, it's for me, it's, I I'm really invested in these characters, not just because of the things that they say, but because of how they present themselves. Right. So uh, it, a a bunch of people are getting murdered at, at base camp and going nuts. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. However, like going through this world that is apparently supposed to be dangerous. It's kind of like watching the princess bride happen where it's like, there's rodents of unusual size and also exploding vents. Yeah. Maybe we'll rest at this oasis. And then suddenly birds come that are going to tear your flesh apart. And then you have to stab it in the face and you're like, okay, listen, things, things are getting worse. Right. So, and, and, and that progression 
is done with what I would consider very great facial features, very great actions. Uh, I think some very interesting or at least very um, well kind of laid out artistry, right? Again, I like, you know me, Conrad, I like a, a page that is split into multiple panels that show movement or a single page that that like kind of it, it pops out of itself. I get that boxes exist in order to show certain things. What I love is a progression of those things, not just of boxes and then a and then a, a aerial shot and then another box. Like again, like everything that that so far I've seen from Trevor Harrison has done, it is progressive and it it feels kinetic. Um, and I enjoy that a lot, regardless of which A or B plot it's a part of. Um, yeah, Just, that's all I have to say. I I love the art. Like, I, and and this is me also saying Carlos Escara, one of my my top bays, doing great work. But I feel like there's there's a little bit of showmanship being done here, uh, in terms of we're moving into the '90s, or I I should say 2000 AD is moving into the 90s and this person has a very good grasp of what that is yeah right we'll see more we'll, we'll see um harrison in in the Prague, sort of in the uh yeah in the in the late 990s i guess um so not not too far from now and then he'll do more stuff but yeah i mean i'll say like he's an he's definitely a newer artist and they're definitely I, I feel like they they feel like just from what we've seen them do in the magazine they're definitely giving him some giving him some space to do some fun, uh, some fun artwork. He did the, a dread that I really liked. It's sort of this, like Elvis inspired dread that I, I should show you Fox. It's pretty excellent. But, um, you know, I'll, I, I'll mention also just that, you know, Iscara is not standing still. I mean, um, a big thing to notice in this one is just his use of digital colors and stuff like that. Like he is, you know, he's not just staying like resting on his laurels as these new as these oh, new no. guys come and, in. Well, this know. is the thing: is like not even just digital colors, but also watercolors. Yeah, because <laughs> well, like doing great. Work. Yeah, because like literally, yeah, literally, we sort of in the magazine in the pre where Scary did the art. Um, at the start of the like in the prologue of this story, there's literally an issue where it's like, oh, like in this issue, he started using a computer to color the comic as if it's do by hand. That's an interesting thing. But anyway. Yeah. Eli oh, sorry. Go ahead, Eli. No, that was it. I, I agree with what you guys are saying. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But so, um, Eli, you talked about um, getting towards the end, and indeed, we got one more installment of uh, Wilderlands coming up, and we will get that to you in our next episodes. Thanks so much for hanging, swinging by the Wilder Zone. We'll be back God, soon. God, get me out. Please leave. get me out. Oh, you're here Conrad's forever. Conrad's kept me here. No. Yes. <laughs> week three in the wilder zone one way or another <laughs> see you see you next time story two missionary man a missionary man script robot gordon Rennie, art robot simon davis letting robot gordon robson so last time on missionary man we met grifter and con man gideon good who's been grifting specifically about the location of a lost treasure called the sierra murder until a terrifying gunman, gunman known as the Undertaker, forced Good to actually, like, you know, go find the treasure for real, basically. This is interrupted by our buddy Preacher Kane and his partner Resurrection Joe. They seemingly killed the Undertaker, but are still forcing Good to take them to the treasure. Good, so in the actual comics here, and we're in black and white because it's a flashback, just to mention. 
Good follows a trail of corpses into the badlands of the uh, of the cursed earth, um, and just sort of following like where the bodies go actually does lead them to this uh, treasure, the bunker, this bunker that's the Sierra Murder. The radiation levels up is uh, lethal, but the real danger is a pair of automatic machine gun turrets. Watch out! The radiation doesn't kill you. Yeah, the guns will. They open fire on the boys, but Kane dodges and blows him away without too much trouble. The crew enters the vaults as a mysterious figure follows behind them. Who could it be? Inside of the base, the rad count is safe, but there's no signs of life. In a control room, they find a body with a fancy sword stuck in its back, seemingly about to activate the base's self-destruct system. Instead, though, Kane activates the security monitors showing the grisly inside of the base. Just all the ins- all the survivors that were inside this vault must have killed each other or committed suicide from guilt or sadness or whatever else. It's tough as they're surrounded by riches and treasures and gold bars and things like that. The trio decides to check things out for themselves and finds endless halls of corpses and booty, including just big old stacks of gold. But the missionary man doesn't want any of it and forbids his traveling companions from taking any of that loot either. Instead, they're going to finish the job and blow this place sky high. Except, that is, the under- if the Undertaker has something to say about it, by God, he's back from the dead, ready to kill everyone, despite the giant hole in his chest, Eli. It's terrible. Right. Yeah, and I don't remember that hole being um, uh, star-shaped, like... I think he's got, like, kind of a pentagram-like tattoo, right. scar or something on his chest. Yeah, and it looks like it's a the hole in the center, and it's oozing some sort of yeah. viscous fluid. He's not in a good uh, way, for sure. Right. right. I also was wondering why um, everyone had swords in them. Like, was that just, seems like this artist maybe just likes drawing swords? I think, yeah, it seems like Simon Davis likes to draw a fancy sword. I guess maybe <laughs> if they don't have guns or something, then that would, mm. like, if you've got a bunch of, tre- you know, usually in, like, treasure chests and stuff, there's, like, a, a couple of bejeweled swords mm. or daggers or something <laughs> lying right. around in there. Yeah, that so makes sense. It might That might just be what's to hand when you're trying to kill somebody. Mm-hmm. In a treasure vault, right. I guess. Maybe, like, maybe you could, like, brain them with a big diamond or something. But I think right. Yeah, I guess that, that, that tracks. I haven't had to uh, murder a lot of people over booty. So, it's like, maybe that's how it goes. I mean, not that kind of booty, at least. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, who hasn't? That's just, you know, I didn't feel like bringing that up. Let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> okay, The Undertaker, he's kicked out of being killed, and now there's a running gunfight through the vault. I'm sorry, Eli, I can't talk about this bad guy, The Undertaker, without thinking of the WWF star, The Undertaker, you know? Hey, I don't blame you for that. You're only Walking human. Around. Rest in peace. So having a gunfight in the vault, Gideon Good hightails it out of there, taking an armful of uh, gold as the Taker monologues at Kane, and see that he's activated the self that Good's activated the self destruct on his way out as well. It's like screw you guys, I'm I'm out of here. <laughs> he takes the lift to the surface with an armful of treasure as the as the missionary man shoots a wall full of gold bars behind the Undertaker, burying the malicious mortician in a bale of bars of bullion. Mm-hmm. 
They run, uh, the um, Joe and Kane run for the doors and make it through just as they snap shut. But the Undertaker's after them as well. And the doors like kind of cut him in half, mm, waist, right. you know, which is pretty solid. <laughs> he cuts himself free. He's got this dagger that's got like a hooded cobra head on the back, mm. on like, the hilt of it, which is like a pretty sweet dagger, I guess. And right. he's like pulling himself after. He's like using that dagger, like by hitting it in the ground, like using it to pull himself forward after the missionary man and stuff like that. It seems like he's making progress, but then, you know, the whole place explodes, and that's sort of all she wrote, it seems like. <laughs> Good thinks he's safe, but the missionary man and Joe come up behind him, kill his horse, take the treasure, and leave him in the desert to his own devices. That poor horse. Yeah, he's just not doing nothing. Leave the horse alone, you know? <laughs> it seems that, that he survived, though, as back in the present and in color, he concludes his tale saying that obviously the gold that Kane took from him was probably wasted on the sick and needy or something. He's never seen Kane again, and that's the end of that tale, I guess. But the figure he's talking to says the story isn't finished yet, and by God, it's The Undertaker, alive and kicking! <laughs> and smoking. Yeah, it's very covered in scar tissue and stuff like that. But his eventual revenge, I guess, the story for another day, as that's the end of Missionary Man for now, but he'll return in June of 1995. That's next year. I do always love that uh, trope of, you know, a dude just telling a crazy story. And it was like, no way that's true. And then the guy from his story who walks in and is like, oh, it's true. And it's not over yet. I'm like, okay, yeah. that's fine. No, totally. That's a great, that's a good trope. Very good Western trope as well for like a tall tale or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right, right. It's, especially with a, as long as the narrator has no credibility, you know, that's right. that's the important part is that that's, he's yeah, probably lying. Yeah, that good is this griff, is this liar constantly mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. Me? Yeah. And I'm kind of interested in this Undertaker character, I guess. He's like a, you know... As always, the best bad guys are sort of dark mirrors of the good guy and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Sort of fits that yeah. bit for sure. Yeah. I do wonder why he, Missionary Merit, um, Missionary Man, keeps getting um, these immortal, can't kill uh, bad guys that just kind of keep yeah. piecing themselves together or whatever. I guess it's the challenge of when you, of, of the standard sort of 2000 AD Judge Dredd magazine thing of having, you know, your character that's a like, an immortal badass themselves, basically. Mm -hmm. like, right. When you, to create villains of the same power level, it becomes harder and harder. You know, you sort of end up mm -hmm. in a mode mm -hmm. where it's like, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm tough and unkillable, so all my, all my enemies have to be too. Uh -huh. like, right. Yeah, I was actually thinking about um, creating a story where it's uh, one of these bad guys having to go against one of these badass protagonists, and they're like, I trapped him, I killed him, I shot him. He just keeps coming back with weird quips and then yeah. punching me in the face. Uh, I don't appreciate it, Eli. I don't appreciate, I don't appreciate the quips with the face punches. Right. Exactly. One or the other, please. Right. But no, it, it is fun. Absolutely. Hey, and actually, speaking of immortal bad guys, Eli, oh. with occasional quips, or at least silly things they say, let's keep going with Story 3, Me Machine. Scripted by John Wagner, art by Carl Critchlow, letting robot Steve Potter. Last time we saw a semi-immortal, headbutt criminal, meat machine angel 
He got sprung from a weird research lab by thugs, and he just met a boy claiming to be his son. Whoa! We learned that his ma, that the, that the kid's ma was a seven-pound Sadie. Seven-pound Sadie Suggs, a woman Mean was briefly smitten with and married to in the 1993 Judge Dredd Annual, which we covered way back in Space Spinner episode 83, way back in the day. And we're almost at 300 now, you know, that was a while ago. Um, right. It's an, in 81, it's 94, so I guess 13 years ago or so. Mm. Comic time, or in real life time around the comics, I guess. Um, so, but in that story, me, Machine, and Sadie, um, like fell in love and were very, you know, did a bunch of criminal stuff. But then at the and then um, the Angel Gang collected like wedding gifts from everybody in the area. Um, but when the wet time for the wedding came, she hit me machine with her hammer and ran off with all the with, with, with all the money for the wedding gifts. It's sort of <laughs> funny. It was it was it was definitely just sort of a sort, sort of a funny story. But you know, right. because they were never actually married, there was no consummation or whatever. But we learned from Junior that there was some canoodling prior to the ceremony, which resulted <laughs> in our young friend here. Mm. We learned that Sadie's been married and scammed dudes all over the cursed earth, but she's decided to send the kid here because he's too dang nice and she can't handle having a goody-goody son. We'll recall that a mean machine himself was a bit of a wimp before he got that dial installed in his head that made him, you know, angry and headbutty constantly. So Sadie reckons that Mean can teach that kid to be bad. Mean takes this with gusto, of course, rearing back and headbutting that this kid's dolly into a thousand pieces. Just he butts it and just shatters and really all had no chance. Oh, it's real sad too. It's a real good, um, like crying kid art from Critchlow here. <laughs> it's like, you, you heard my dolly. <laughs> um, and th- I think that's sad. And me just promises to be meaner and make this kid into a rotten psychopath, just like he is, which is ominous. <laughs> right. Yes. So, um, Anyway, but with all this set up, the goons that uh, that sprung mean from prison are sort of ready to head out. Like, all right, like, you know, you're not in prison anymore, so we're just going to, you know, go. But a series of buddings from mean rec- recruits the surviving goons to his side. Like, one guy's like, hey, we're just going to go, you know, and he just headbutts him into a wall. And another guy's like, or mean headbutts one into a wall and says, any questions? And one guy says, like, Oh uh, yeah, actually, you know, I don't think we actually want to be in your gang. And then he gets headbutted too, and everybody else is like, "Okay, like, we'll, we'll see him up. It's fine." Right. <laughs> uh, we also see that Ramsbottom, this doctor that had been doing weird experiments on me, machine, is still there. He's trying to escape in a box, solid snake style. It seems like. <laughs> Mean prepares to go to four on him, but Ram dodges his butt and makes an offer. He's studied the most twisted and vicious psychos in Mega City One, so he can surely help train uh, Mean Machine Jr. to be rotten. As we see the kid tearfully trying to fix his dolly, Ramsbottom says he'll teach the kid to be evil, that he'll have to teach the kid to be evil from the very basics, A to Z of evil, basically. And Mean agrees. <laughs> And thus, mean school begins. A to Z of being bad. So we start with, of course, A. 
What are mean, evil crimes you could do that start with a answer it back? Ah, uh, that ain't real bad though. <laughs> suggests arson. Um, then there's armed robbery, assassination. All good. Let's go do them all. We're gonna do some armed robbing, <laughs> some assassinating, and generally arson about a. <laughs> arson about that's pretty all right anyway head up head, heading off it's time it's crime spree time next time on bead machine b is for button Ooh. and that's nice. our bead machine installment right a uh, couple things on that uh, doctor actually dodging the headbutt is a advanced technique that i'm surprised more people don't try to use oh absolutely uh, right i guess he does that flip thing he throws you up and then hits you with the headbutt, so it's really a, a time consideration. I mean, I think, you know, it's easy to underestimate how fast the butts are, actually. Right. You got to start dodging before the butt even happens. Absolutely. As soon as you see him with the dial, just start dodging right then. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just that Ramsbob has been studying me so much that he right. knows. He knows, like, the right. micro-expressions that he does before he uh, but I'm trying to figure out if um, either Mean Machine's going to become nicer or if this kid's going to become more evil. Because it's that weird. You can't just you give a badass a kid. And we've all seen, you know, yeah. um, that story. Uh, we've all watched Mandalorian. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it's only a matter of time. But I'm excited to see where they go with it. Any number of movies where tough guys have to deal with a kid and like, mm-hmm. hey, like, you know, this kid taught me something, too. That kind of right, thing. exactly. But it is Judge Red, so it could be that kid just gets exploded or something later, and then yeah. uh, it's all fine. I could see him, you know, just being a real turn into a real badass kid, or maybe they try to get the dial installed on his head too, or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, right? It is. Yeah. I think Critchlow does a really good job of making the kid seem really like sweet and innocent and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so you know, yes. he, just, he doesn't belong with all these tough criminals <laughs> trying to right. mean and stuff. Yeah, but uh, just the way, same way, uh, his uh, ex-wife uh, hit Mean Machine in the head with a hammer, and he's like, "My type of woman." Yes. I'm assuming if, if he gets his kid to just like headbutt him back or stab him in the stomach or whatever, he'd be like, "My boy, you finally yeah. no, acceptance." Absolutely, <laughs> this meat machine. Ever. Right. You. <laughs> All right, so let's take a quick break from stories as we talk about covers, features, and uh, dreadlines. Uh, it's just all the non-story stuff from these issues. Issue 65, Green Death. Jason Brazil draws Dread in the middle of being eaten by a big Venus flytrap, or Hestia flytrap, I guess, as the editorial laments the difficulty in keeping continuity between the different Wilderlands artists. Um, what with especially just them being very far apart, Escara is doing art in Andorra, which is this country that's in between Spain and France. And Trevor Harrison's in, in in England and stuff like that. It's a, it's, it's a pain, especially in, you know 1994 when like they barely have email and stuff like that. You know, um, after Dread is also a contest. Write a funny caption for this issue's cover, and you could win a one year subscription to the magazine. The Inquisition features back as well, answering a bunch of questions of, um, questions about general stuff, including the fate of Judges Giant, Anderson, and Death. And they are uh, killed in the Apocalypse War, coming back in issue 73, and stay tuned in 1995, respectively. 
There's also questions about drinking and smoking in Negacity 1. Uh, smoking's out, or drinking's outlawed, or alcohol's outlawed. You can only smoke in, in specific smokatoriums scattered around the city. It's where you just smoke. And you have to like wear a gas mask while you smoke, because there's so much tobacco and smoke in the air, I guess. <laughs> wow. Um, in Dreadlines, there's compliments for the artist uh, Lowell and recent Dread work. There's a request for some help writing a school report that is denied, apparently. Like, this is a pretty consistent thing, I guess, for, like, high school kids in England all have to do this big, like, sort of, like, thesis or paper or something like that. And a lot of them apparently, like, write into the 2080 offices being like, hey, can I, like, interview an artist or, you know, talk to you guys about how you make the comic or something. And they get so many requests for it that their policy is just to blanket deny them always. It's pretty funny. Um, there's discussion of Carlos Escara's art and the move toward digital coloring and an announcement that the magazine now has an email address and a fax number. Woo! Faxes! All right. It's 1994. <laughs> uh, and then the issue ends with an ad for a donkey for for a Donkey Kong game on the Big Boy, or sorry, a Donkey Kong game on the Game Boy with the right. title "Gorillas in the Fist," which I think is pretty funny. Right now, I do love old Game Boy ads. Like there's something something about it just Absolutely. brings you right back to my childhood. Now we were just talking about this on uh, on Space Spinner also, where there's this the, there's a real tone for like 1990s game video game ads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. It's kind of aggressive actually, or like, yes. hey loser, <laughs> buy this game. Like, oh okay. Right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they got in a lot of negging and reverse psychology. Right? Yes. Or, uh... <laughs> a lot of like negging and like not actually showing you the game. You know. Like, right. Hiring an right. art department to make you feel what the game will, to, to make you know what the game will feel like, but not actual game footage. Right. Exactly. Like uh, when your uh, parents you would be like, here's how you get a job. Go down there, demand a uh, application, and just yeah. stop that business for two weeks. You're like, I don't think that works anymore. That seems very aggressive. <laughs> you know, different eras. You know, it's almost right. Like- exactly. Continuing on, issue 66, Armitage gets your gun. We got a Meg cover based on the poster for the Clint Eastwood movie Magnum Force. It's very, very gun forward here by Charles Gillespie. The editorial mentions that several stories are ending and teases some new ones, as well as the Dread Novel um, contest next issue. There's also a new feature of this issue called Drock of Ages, which seeks to add some behind-the-scenes info about the early days of Dread. This one focuses on the very start of Judge Dredd, including some elements that were in the initial comic, but have since been sort of memory hold or retcon, basically, especially about non-judge cops in Mega City One, uh, a prison called Jug-, Jug One, stuff like that. Things that were sort of there initially, but we've in the in the ensuing years have decided, ah, this isn't really an important part of Dredd. We can skip this. <laughs> Don't worry about it. The Inquisition section recaps the adventures of the of Armitage and um, the character of uh, Gabriel, who we saw at the end of the first story of Armitage and then in one of the flashback stories as well, and is now becoming a big deal in the current story, I guess. It's a whole thing, more confusing than it needs to be, honestly, whatever. <laughs> uh, Dreadlines is pretty brief with compliments for Ascaris computer art and the Harmony story. 
and there's a request to not kill off Judge Castillo, and we'll see if she makes it. <laughs> then this issue ends with an ad for the 1995-2000 AD and Red Magazine yearbooks, and we'll be talking about the Dread yearbook pretty soon here on this show. And then turn takes us back to stories as we get going with Story 4, Cal Have Justice. Script robot Jim Alexander, art robot John Ridgway, letter robot Ellie DeVille. So, okay, there's a lot of flashbacks in this one, Eli. I need you to hold on, and we're going to get through this, I promise. All right, thank you. I needed the assurance. I, I, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out, buddy, you and me. <laughs> so we start with a flashback to the year 2101, as Cal Hab, that's a Dreadworld Scotland, is accepted into the world community of judges as horseback riding Britsit judges bring justice to the rapidly to the land despite as it is rapidly devolving into barbarous Scots. Um, it seems that something called the Song in the Sky is deployed, a satellite that sends out subliminal rays to nudge the psyche of Cal Havers toward a softer, they say stereotypically tartan tamed persona. Like, so it seems like they're basically just, like, sending them, like, if it was Ireland, I'd say, like, Lucky Charms commercials, basically. I like, see. I don't know. Just, like, <laughs> just like oh, be a silly Scotsman. You know. Faith would go. No, that's that's Ireland as well. Excuse me. Ah. <laughs> but Nessie. Things like that. I, mm. I, you know, just, like, chill out, Scots. Whatever. We're brainwashing mm. you. You like it. That kind of stuff. Um, the other element that will bring um, Calhab to heal is the Baxter gene pool, which is ominous. And um, we see in 2021, um, or in sorry, in a, in a 2081, a scientist looking at a bunch of floating, uh, floating fetuses in a tank. As in 2116, Calhab side judge Shehalian menaces that same scientist, now old and bald and stuff, or all old and blind and stuff. The scientist says that all the like false memories that Shehalian had that were a big deal in the previous Calhab story were there to keep him from killing himself, and that explains that way back when they when they were growing Shehalian from a clone baby along with McBrain and Bryson, which is weird as well. McBrain, of course, the big like badass judge. In Calhab, and Bryce in the name of the, uh, the of the chief inspector of Calhab. But when Shehalian was a little kid in a tube, his powerful psychic abilities meant that he could like create life and create like just create like matter and stuff with his mind. And so while he was in the tube, he like gave himself like a terrible skin infection that like inflamed his whole body basically, and it was no good. So with no choice, so if they just left it to his own devices, like his psychic powers just caused him to like kill himself, basically. So they hooked him up to the song in the sky to give himself something to focus his brain on instead. And that's why he developed all these false memories of standing stones and cult hist and Celtic history and things like that, I guess. Meanwhile, Judge Buchan goes to check on Chihalian and finds his door guard dead on his feet and his wife in some kind of catatonic state, which is no good. Back to the old folks' home, Chihalian's freaking out a bit. He realizes that his false memories were created by his own mind, 
reflecting the lame vanilla beliefs of his people. And so he yells at the old man and seems to be about to kill him. But the man calls him out on this. Like, hey, man, I'm old and blind. You know, you kill me, what are you killing? You're doing me a favor. <laughs> and so instead, Jehalion snaps his finger and gives the old man something. And the door closes as he reaches towards him. Shehalion gives the old man sight, then kills him. And he like draws the blinds as the irony of the murder sets in on him, I guess. Then (laughs) returns to the main room of the hospital, grabs the nurse there, and heads off with her as the old folks look on approvingly, I guess. Uh, the Calhab chief inspector Bryson rushes to the scene of Shalian's wife and seems to have a heart attack or a stroke or something as a hard rain falls outside. I think then Shalian's wife takes over narration, damning her husband for not wanting her anymore as we see him having sex with that nurse. And then she like falls asleep and Shalian does some psychic stuff to her. And we, he's not just like impregnated her but has advanced the embryo to have its first heartbeat, which is usually like the fourth week of gestation and stuff. And it's just kind of some gross body horror stuff, basically. Flashing back to 2081, we see the scientists joking about and then go to the tank with these floating clone babies in it as an assistant. Teague takes a picture of Dr. Baxter with the babies, uh, it's a family snapshot, which is the story of with the name of this story we've just been reading. But that's the end of it, and Calhab will return. But you know, we're still rolling with Calhab. We'll be back with it next episode with a story called False Dawn. Weird stuff going on in Calhab. Yeah. Very uh existential dread, how much power is too much power type of thing. Yeah. Uh, I kinda liked when it was just like dudes with kilts. Beaten right. up other dudes with kilts, I guess. <laughs> right. Yeah. We we have simple joys, and they always throw and try to put this extra stuff on us. We're like, yeah, it's very like you know, this didn't have it didn't have to be about the nature of real of uh of of selfhood and right. things like that. Right. But I guess you know I'll keep watching. It's it's a different type of uncomfortable because there's always you know the heavy metal dread, which makes me visually uncomfortable. This mm-hmm. one's making me psychologically uncomfortable. Yeah. So I'm trying to figure out how to navigate, you know, these different spaces. And just, you know, I mean, it's one of these things where I'm just never, like, when a naked lady shows up, I'm just never ready for it in these comics. Right. You know, like, yeah. it's just, it's yeah. not, it's not like the deal we've had previously. So it's unusual <laughs> when it happens, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's also, um, this, uh, and not, uh, being negative about the artist, but the, um, uh, art style is very, um, uh, rudimentary, I guess, very uh, standard. Mm-hmm. It's just like a uh, very basic cross-hatching, uh, standard anatomy. Um, so even its art style makes it feel a little bit more rigid and weird. Um, so yeah, I think that's also, I guess, adding yeah. to the um, the feeling of, uh, I'm not sure I like this. <laughs> yeah, sure no, it's, a, I mean, it's, Ridgeway's sort of the original, um, Calhab artist and stuff. And I think his, and the style is certainly a little bit more plain than say we had with, uh, with Lol, who had been doing stuff previously, of course, which is sort of, you know, where we've talked about legibility and things like that. But, um, it is, 
a very yeah like like unassuming style for as out there as the story itself is <laughs> right anyway yeah so good times weird stuff in cowhab for sure <laughs> but let's finish strong with our final um story this time story five armitage i thought you were gonna say um uh speaking of um being disturbed or weird feelings yeah totally yeah speaking of getting freaked out by uh british isles um uh judge stuff for sure um yeah armitage script about dave stone art about charles gillespie letting her about annie parkhouse even as Wilderlands rages, we're flashing back to see what Armitage was doing during the Judgment Day story as, you know, zombies were taking over the world. Narration boxes with weird shapes and curly borders announce that the Trump has sounded, sending the dead back to life to conquer the, the world. As we see a bunch of like weird techno zombies arise and begin moving through the Britsit sewers. The, vo- the voice says that only the damned remain on Earth. And he has built a house for their correction, a brief coda, then come night everlasting. Big times. <laughs> At the Chalice of Blood bar, Armitage, his rookie treasure Steel, and Linda Marsh are all fighting one of these tech zombies. And it seems to just keep coming back and being unkillable, despite like getting a big pole jammed through its chest and all this other stuff. Lisa finally hits it with some kind of technical device that looks like one of those, like, click, like, candle lighter things. Mm, you know what I'm talking yes. about, Eli? Um, mm. <laughs> but that is a virus that fries the zombie's operating system or something. I, some, you know, tech mumbo jumbo, basically. <laughs> I wonder what kind of OS a zombie's running, you know? Right. Yeah. Like, could be Windows because it crashes, I guess. You don't want to... Wow. You don't want a Mac zombie, Eli. It'll keep going. Right. Or right. something. I don't know. Yeah, but it's hard to interface with is really the trouble with the Mac zombies. Oh, sure. Yeah, right. it's, it's, a, it's a walled garden, you know, Yeah, right. of zombies. <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn Linux zombie being all hipster, whatever. Right. <laughs> so the trio beats feet and leaves the club, finding the streets full of more conventional zombies. This whole area has been overrun. Um, Armitage makes it back to behind Judge Lines, where he gets chewed out by his boss, Warner, for, you know, the trouble of surviving here. And it's the standard sort of cop on the edge trope of the cop saying, like, there's more here going on. Like, you got to listen to me. But the brass being like, you're crazy and you're imagining things. Like, just do your job and don't worry about it. But, you know, if anyone's going to got to deal with this, I got to deal with it on my own. That kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> Later, we see Lisa avoiding zombies and making her way back to her apartment, only to find it full of tech zombies. One of them real scary with two heads. Mm. Run, Lisa, run. She tries to escape, even as like random jerks just sort of come around and be like, hey, Lisa, what's up? I got a zombie. I'm dead. That kind of thing. <laughs> In the end, though, she gets tackled by a tech zombie who injects her in the neck with a needle that, like, it's on the tip of its index finger, which is no good. And she kind of passes out. At the Colin Dexter block, which is named for the British mystery author, 
uh, especially known for like the detect the uh, Inspector Morse um, novels, which is a, I know as a big show on like PBS, but it's this sort of long running like British detective show. But in his house, there Armitage is re- is reminded that those tech zombies look familiar when his digital assistant says that he has a call and it's that Gabriel guy. The time has come for their meeting, and he we learn that he has Lisa, so it's personal. <laughs> Without explaining, Armitage promptly fails Treasure Steel and kicks her out, and then goes to his bookcase and pulls out a copy of Paradise Lost, revealing behind it a giant pistol. And it's a big deal because I guess like Britsit judges usually don't carry guns, like generally. And there's still a little bit of this like British like People don't have guns generally, you know, mm-hmm. it's different than America, of course. Um, right. And so, you know, when you pull out your like hidden pistol, that means like, ooh, it's serious. Like he's mm-hmm. doing stuff that he shouldn't be doing, that kind of thing. Right. Right. In America, you're like, how come he doesn't? Why do you hide it there? You usually just yeah. have that on the dinner table. But Yeah, whatever. exactly. Why don't you just sort of have it all the time? You know, open right. carry to get some donuts or something. Right. That's yeah. what life is. <laughs> for better or for worse, I guess. In Sector 4, which has fallen to the zombies, Armitage surveys the damage and then finds Gabriel at last. He's in a back room full of corpses and weird flesh monsters. It's showdown time and just real gross tech zombie setting. I'm not a huge fan of it, Eli. Ooh. Next time, The Wrath of Angels. Yeah, I always have trouble with... Um particular tech zombie designs because they mm-hmm. just put like extra spikes and tubes on places yeah and my brain can't like why is that there it's like no they, yeah yeah they, they, they've, they've, they've got a very sort of uh uh hr giger sort of aesthetic with lots of yeah lots mm-hmm. of tubes lots of like weird screens and lenses and places and things like that Right, yeah. That you just so got to a- think can't be comfortable. And then, mm, right. like, yeah, just a lot of, a lot of f- like, molded flesh and stuff like that. It's right. just kind of like, ah, yeah. this is gross. Yeah. And it's like, if I'm going tech, you know, if I'm getting enhancements, they're going to be for practical reasons and purposes. Mm. I'm not just going to put, like, bat wings on for show. Like, that's what it always seems like, is like, this stuff mm-hmm. isn't actually being used for things. Yeah. It was just like, eh, I'm already here. Pile that on too. Yeah, no, it's very much. It, it is sort of a Warhammer 40k aesthetic where it's like, <laughs> yes. you know, well, while I, you know, like we're giving you a cyber leg, but maybe I'll just toss like a player piano inside of you as well, just because, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, got we've got open. the hood up, you know, that kind of right. stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, as far as story though, it, um, it, I do feel like it um, is uh, um, different from the. Um, Armitage I've been getting, which has been mm. like a very serious, grounded thing. Yeah, and so they're like cyber zombies. I'm like, oh, uh, all right, sure. Almost yeah, this like is this is much more of a of a straight action movie than some of the previous Armitages, which have have a little bit more been like mysteries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You know, always you know whatever action yeah. movie, action genre thing. Because there's a zombies right. going on, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fine. I, I'll definitely um, keep reading it. It just is, um, yeah, just a little jarring coming out of it. Absolutely. <coughs> <coughs> 
But hey, with that, Eli, we've reached the end of our comics for today, and I have one question for you, which is, what were your top and bottom stories for uh, issues, what, 65 and 66, the magazine? No, 60, yeah. Yeah, 65 and 66. 65 Um, and 66. What do you got? What's your tops and bots? Luckily, I like that, tops and bots. Always. Because it's Judge Dredd, so like there are bots sometimes. (laughs) There are. And Judge Dredd is definitely like a top, I'd have to assume. Um, yeah, but, it's. Uh, I'm sort of not counting it for this one just because we, we sort of did it in the Wilder Zone and stuff like that. Right. So it's sort of oh, no. a little bit non-continuity this time. <laughs> no, I was making a sexy joke. But Ooh, yes, I got it. I, Get I, out I, of here. <laughs> uh, right. Saucy uh, yeah. lad, et cetera. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, luckily, I mean, we didn't have too many stories, so I was able to... Uh, deduce this one pretty quick. Um, nice. Uh, uh, top. Um, I liked. Um, oh no, I need the name. Or else the nerds are gonna be mad at me. <laughs> uh, um, I liked uh, Mean Machine. Nice uh, for for my top. Um, just a tale as old as time. Guy has a questionable child, and you got to teach him to be be mean, meaner to things. I think that's just a cute, fun, and weird story. And there's headbutting involved. So, I mean, I don't know what else you can ask for, really. Uh, totally. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to rise up to my favorites. I don't remember a lot of Mean Machine stories. So this one, I mean, I know I've seen no. him before and we've done stories. Yeah, we haven't seen a ton of him in, in, in the Meg so far. But he's just, I mean, what, you, what you're seeing here is basically what the Mean Machine stories are. Like right. when he has, like, you know, he was originally a dread antagonist. But when he, when he when he's had some solo stories, and they're very much just him just showing up being ornery and like headbutting things basically right. you know it's a, yeah. it's a simple story but an effective one i think yeah it also um it reminds me of uh, al's baby which um yeah uh has a, a place in my heart so absolutely uh, yeah i mean they're both ri- they're both written by by john wagner and it feels like him very much when he's leaning into his sort of anarchic <laughs> mis- misanthropic comedy kind of stuff you know right yes um uh bottom i'd have to put cowhab justice only because it was a little weird and i have um the way they started it because i'm fine with weird but it's a type of weird that's going to be like no we're trying to make you uncomfortable later and i'm like i don't necessarily like that like that my, mm-hmm. my two favorite things i like when you're if you can before seeing a story if you can be like Bro, check this out. Like, I like that type of story. That's kind of what Mean Machine is. Like, it's just headbutting people. It's crazy. You know, it's just a, yeah. a fun ride. And I also like stories that make me think, like, huh, I hadn't really seen that perspective. Um, but um, this one seems like they're trying to get me to think, but it's just about, like, um, the uh, negativity of the human psyche and ego. And I'm like, I already kind of know that stuff. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily need a reminder on... Right. People can be messed up if given the power to. Uh, so I'm predicting it, it's going to miss me. But, you know, I got to still wait it out. I may, might be being too pessimistic. I hear you, for sure. I mean, I, I will def. I might actually just be in full solidarity with you here, Eli. Like, the like Cal Have Justice is getting increasingly, like, I don't know, weird. And, like, not in, like, a great, weird way, but sort of, like, like... I'm really like just holding on to understanding what's going on exactly, I guess. Mm. And like, 
I wish they'd I wish they'd done more in setting up this Shahalian character to talk about mm. him having these memories of all this like classic Scotland stuff or something like that. They talked about it a little bit, but they made but the story is based on the on the on it being such a betrayal and a big deal that it was mm. that like it's weird that it wasn't or or it just wasn't developed enough initially to make the response to it feel justified i guess yes right it's hard getting in his head and understanding like why yeah. he's doing these things which and just makes like feel more alien yeah and I, and I mean i think especially yeah i like your comment that he feels alien and just like you know the whole deal is that we're sort of i guess in the mind of the of this villain of this you know monster of this like murdering rapist like you know Ooh. i mean that lady is being mind controlled like that's not really a a 100 percent consent situation you know right and so like he seems like a real bad dude and but we're, I feel like we're also supposed to kind of like we're supposed to be like intrigued by his descent into madness, and I might <laughs> right. be more just grossed out by it a little bit. <laughs> like he's not he's not I'm not finding him as charming as I feel like they hope that I'm finding him basically. Uh, right. Yes. And it it's just makes like <clears throat> yeah. Good. Oh, almost like when somebody uh, writes something and they're like, um, uh, what is it? I saw a movie recently where it was about this woman who cheated on her husband and then all this bad stuff happened to her. And isn't that the lesson? And I'm like, this is clearly written by a dude who just got cheated on. And <laughs> he's just like putting a lot of extra hatred out there. Yeah. Well, I so. think some, yeah, I think it's also kind of like sometimes you'll get a story where it's where like the, where like the, the protagonist is like a real bad person, you know, is a, is a villain basically, mm. but you know, they're so charming or so cool that you mm. want to see what they'll do. Like, like, like Hannibal Lecter is like the best example mm. of that. I think where like, yes. you know, you know, he, you know, eats people and does all this stuff, but he's also like fascinating and you want to kind of mm. get in his head and things like that. Mm. And right. like when that works, it's really great. But when it doesn't work, it's kind of like, oh, why won't someone kill this jerk? Like whatever, <laughs> you know? Right. And I'm getting a little close to that with with Shahalian and Cowhab. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess actually Counterpoint, my my top is definitely a Mean Machine, which I'm really liking. I really like just how expressive all uh, the uh, the art is, and just all these like big. Mm-hmm overgrown characters and stuff like you know mean machine himself is just the, you know sort of i guess as a counterpoint to um armitage also you know he's just this big mass of like metal and muscles basically but right. still manages to have characterization and be really funny mm-hmm. um, right. and just this whole thing is just really like i don't know like it's a real i love stories that can mix that are actually you know, like i was gonna say that mix like um humor with other stuff but this is just just a straight up comedy story honestly right. and right. i think is a pretty good example of this like you know like we said um like tough guy little kid mismatch you know mm-hmm. your mr nanny or tooth the tooth fairy or whatever else kind of thing <laughs> right. they like no. take a tough guy and give him a kid you know right absolutely yeah cool good times yeah i'm looking forward to what's coming up should be good i'm interested to see how, how these stories develop and mm-hmm. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Titch, or Google Play Store, Spotify, or a podcast site at BigMegOne.com. Contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com on the 2008 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. 
for all those, check out Big Meg One with one written out, and you'll find us and drop us a rating or review wherever it is you're, you're listening, or suggest us if someone's looking for a podcast. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends at 2080 Forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradaline. That's our podcast network, and you can receive advanced episodes. Then come back next time as we reach the conclusion of Wilderlands. We'll roll forward with both Mean Machine and Armitage, start a new cow and start both new stories for Calhab Justice and Judge Karen. And I'm told that Judge the Judge Karen story will have vampires. So I'm pretty excited about that one as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, should be good. And until then, I'm Connor, they're Eli, and we are Big Bag One. Drop it. <laughs>